Well, we're going to begin or continue on, actually, in our series in the Proverbs. This is number eight in our series, and we will be in a little while, just in a few moments, we'll be in Proverbs chapter four as we work our way through there today. You may be familiar with the name Brewster Kale. Uh, if you're not familiar with the name Brewster Kale, you definitely know the name of his invention. Uh, in 1996, Mr. Kale developed the technology for and created Alexa, the voice-activated internet search engine. In 1999, Amazon bought Alexa from Brewster Kale, and the rest is kind of history. Every time I think about Alexa, I do have to kind of chuckle a little bit. About five years ago, when our grandson who just turned 10 was actually five, we were at the house for something, I don't know what, and uh, Carol and uh, his mother were gone, I think, shopping someplace, and I was home with the kids, and little five-year-old wanted to watch something on their, on their, uh, on their television, on their movie setup or something, wanted me to, to program something, and I said to him, I'm not really sure if I know how to run your system. He says, no problem, Papa. Just tell Alexa what to do and she'll do it. I said, so who in the world is Alexa? He said, I don't know. It's some lady's voice in that little box there. I said, just tell Alexa what to do. He says, that's what my mom does. Well, I have since discovered who Alexa was. I'm sorry, Mr. Kale, but I didn't know who Alexa was for a long time. I never use Alexa, but I do know who Alexa is these days. But uh, Mr. Kale, who developed Alexa, has this great vision for the Internet. He dreams of having universal access to all human knowledge. And as a digital librarian now and a director and co-founder of what they call the, the, the Internet Archive, Mr. Kale believes that we have only begun to tap the vast potential of the Internet to supposedly change and improve our world. He says it is now technically possible to live up to the dream of the Library of Alexandria. And if you're not familiar with that, he's referring to a huge collection of writings in the city of Alexandria in ancient Egypt that was said to house virtually all of the world's knowledge at that time, which was about 2,000 years ago. Well, Mr. Kale is a brilliant inventor. He's quite a genius in the field of artificial intelligence. And his internet dream sounds impressive. But I hope, as you are learning by now from our study in the book of Proverbs, information is not the same thing as wisdom. Information about many things is very useful and very helpful, but the knowledge of God is absolutely essential for life in eternity. As Solomon said in chapter 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. He said again in chapter 9 and verse 10, which we'll see in, in upcoming weeks, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You see, everything that we need to know for life and eternity is found in the Scripture. And understanding it requires that we begin with the fear of the Lord. Uh, there is a teaching that we call the sufficiency of Scripture. It is the conviction that the Bible tells us everything that we need to know for life and eternity. And that teaching comes to us from many scriptures, but primarily from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, which says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord 
as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. This verse is not telling us that the Bible is the encyclopedia of every bit of knowledge that exists in the world. It is, however, telling us that the Bible tells us absolutely everything that we need to know for life and godliness. Because it's through the scripture that we find the knowledge of God. It is through the scripture that we learn the fear of the Lord. And if we do not have a holy, reverent awe for who God is and what he says, then we will not understand wisdom. We will not have the godly skill to live life in obedience to the Lord, which is what we have said in past weeks, that's what wisdom is. It is the godly skill to live life in obedience to the Lord. So what we've been reading and studying throughout Proverbs is Solomon diligently working to impart wisdom to his son. He wants his son, he wants his children, as we'll see today, when he says, Hear my children, the instruction of a father. He wants his children to have the life skills necessary to live in such a way that the Lord will be pleased. So we've been studying these teaching sessions, these little teaching lectures that Solomon has had with his son. And we see many themes repeated in these sessions. As we mentioned last week, we learn best by repetition. You hear it over and over again. You do it over and over again. So Solomon repeats many concepts, and he's going to do that again today. But today's passage has a very interesting twist to it. Solomon tells his son some things that his father David told him. So what we're going to see today is Solomon telling his son, this is what my father taught me. The truth was passed down through the generations from grandfather to father to son. We'll see that as we read this. Look in our text, if we would, this morning. Proverbs chapter 4. We're going to read the first nine verses. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he, <coughs> excuse me, he also taught me and said to me, <coughs> Let your heart retain my words, keep my commands and live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget, nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. In all your getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory. She will deliver to you. I want this morning to think about with you and consider the Bible concept of passing the baton. And that's what I'm going to call my title for this, my sermon today, Passing the Baton. Most of you are well aware of the Bible references to running a race, viewing the Christian life as a race, as a marathon, I often say. It's not a hundred-yard dash, it's a marathon. We have to endure, stay on track, be focused, strive for excellence. We see these teachings throughout the New Testament, and, and many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with them. But I want you to also think of the Christian life not merely as a race or a marathon, but as a relay race. 
We are running one leg of the race, and it's our job to pass the baton to the next generation. This is what we see happening in this passage here in, in Proverbs chapter 4. Solomon is imparting a spiritual challenge to his son that he heard from his father David. And before we look at this exhortation, this challenge, and, and I, I want you to see two passages of Scripture, one in the New Testament, one in the Old Testament, that I hope will encourage and exhort and challenge us to work diligently to pass the baton. The first one is in Second Timothy in chapter 2. Second Timothy in chapter 2. Many of you New Testament uh, students are well aware of this passage. It is quoted and referred to on many occasions. 2 Timothy in chapter 2. But we are going to read it again today and remind you of it again. 2 Timothy chapter 2. After we look at these two passages, one in the Old Testament, one in the New, we will look back at Proverbs chapter 4. But look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and look at the first three verses. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses... Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Part of the challenge in enduring hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ is passing the baton. He said, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And notice the sequence in verse 2. The things you've heard from me, among many witnesses, Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's the passing of the baton. Paul says to Timothy, everything I've taught you, I want you to teach other faithful men. Then I want those faithful men to teach other faithful men. And I want those faithful men to teach other faithful men. And you know what? The reason why we are here today is because somebody somewhere did that verse. The reason why gospel-preaching churches are still around 2,000 years later is because somebody did this verse. Somebody passed the baton to the next generation. And it started with the apostles. It went down to those who heard them. Others passed it on to them. They passed it on to the next generation. And it kept rolling for the last 2,000 years. And we are here as a testimony to the people who did verse 2 for the last 2,000 years. And that is part of our job. That's part of our, our opportunity. That's part of our commitment from God is to continue to pass the baton to the next generations. Then look at Psalm 78. Not as, not as well known, but oh, wow, what a tremendous passage of Scripture. Psalm 78. It's a long psalm. We're not going to read the whole thing. We're just going to look at the first eight verses. Psalm 78. Written by Asaph, that well-known musician, great musician, wrote a lot of our psalms. Was the orchestra and choir director in the temple for many years. Asaph, but listen to what Asaph says in Psalm 78. And notice again the passing the baton concepts here. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. 
For he established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. I love that passage of Scripture. Psalm 78, this, this, this challenge from Asaph to interpret your history theologically. Interpret your history theologically. Teach your children the word of God and the ways of God. In part, explaining by explaining to them the way that God has dealt with you. And the way that God has cared for you. And the way that God has provided for you. And the way that God has disciplined you. And the way that He has shown you His mercy. We want them to grow up knowing the Lord. And loving the Lord. And serving the Lord. We, and that's only going to happen when we pass the baton. You know the whole point of passing the baton is in verse 7 that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. That's the whole point. Asaph says, pass it on to your children, have them teach it to their children, have them teach it to their children, so that they will set their hope in God and not forget the works of God and keep His commandments. And if you should say to yourself, well, you know, I haven't always lived the way I should live, then teach them verse 8. That they may not be like their fathers. A stubborn and rebellious generation whose spirit was not faithful to God. You know what? I mean, I've told folks, if you blew it, tell your kids you blew it. They already know anyway. <laughs> you, you think you're telling them something they haven't figured out? Our children, by the time they're about six or seven, they know all of our flaws. Go ahead and be honest about it. But, but the goal of passing the baton is that, we, that children, that they will, that our kids and our grandkids will set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but they'll keep His commandments. That's the whole point. Pass the baton. And that is what Solomon is doing with his sons in, in chapter 4. He is telling them what his father David told him. So let's go back to Proverbs chapter 4 and we'll kind of unpack this a little bit. What, what should we do in, in, in passing the baton? There are three, three challenges here uh, as far as what, what we should do. The first one is simply take the responsibility. Take the responsibility. Look at verse 3. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me. Solomon is saying to his son, to his children, my father taught this to me. He, Dad, taught me. And you know, although our kids and our grandkids may have had and may continue to have many teachers, even in spiritual matters, the primary responsibility for passing the baton is the parent. Not the church. Not the Sunday school teacher. Not the coach. Not the pastor. It's the parent has the number one responsibility. Hopefully all of those other influences will be positive spiritual influences, but the primary responsibility is the parent. Why is that? Part of the reason is because the parent has the most contact through the home. A couple of hours a week at church 
should supplement the whole, but it cannot replace it when it comes to passing the baton. So take the responsibility, as David did, as Solomon says, my father taught me, now I'm teaching you. Then secondly, start early. If you're able to, if your kids are grown or older, start whenever you can. But if you can start early, start early. Verse 3, he says, when I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother. The word tender means young, soft, pliable. Never too soon to begin teaching those little ones in your care. The heart is still soft. Habit patterns of sin are not as entrenched or embedded. Thus, they are more easily addressed. Start early. Train consistently. And then a third issue for us parents is to, to be straightforward. I've dealt with that just a little bit. Tell it like it is. Be honest. Be direct. All throughout these, the rest of these verses, verse 4 up through verse 9, he's giving some pretty direct commands. And some pretty straightforward things that he's saying. David gave it straight to Solomon, and now Solomon's giving it straight to his kids. So be straightforward, tell it like it is, be honest, be direct. If you've, if you've blown it, tell your kids you've blown it. If God did some great things, tell them God did some great things. Give the glory to God. Be straightforward. So take the responsibility, start early, and be, be straightforward. So then, what is, what is the actual challenge? What do we say? How do we teach all these things? The concepts that David taught Solomon are basic life skill concepts that we have seen in past, past of these lectures, these teaching sessions. We're going to see them again. Seeking the Lord's wisdom. Keep His commands. Don't forget God. Don't forsake God's ways. There's value in God's wisdom. There's benefit to God's wisdom. And this morning, I'm not going to focus specifically on those concepts because we've seen them before and we're going to see them again in coming weeks. But I want to leave you with, with four challenges regarding passing the baton of God's wisdom and God's will and God's ways. What do we say? How do we live? Because if you and I don't live it, then what we say is going to be irrelevant. As the old saying goes, what we are speaks so loudly that they can't hear a word we say. So here are the challenges, I believe, that are, that are based on these, these verses, the challenges we can give our kids over and over and over again as we're teaching them God's will and God's ways and God's wisdom. The first one is this, make it real. Verse 4, he says, He also taught me and said to me, Let your heart retain my words. Let your heart retain my words what he's saying is what i mean is son don't just go through the motions don't just go through the motions make it real in your life you know when you're a kid at home you can very easily go through the motions because you don't want mom to chew on you you don't want your grandma or your aunt to preach to you you don't want your dad or your granddad or your uncle to start to start to start giving it to you. So 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 you just kind of go along to get along, hoping for the day when you're going to be out on your own and you can go do your own thing. You know what? We want to challenge the next generation to make it real. Let your heart retain my words. Tell our kids and our grandkids, get it in your inner man. Keep it there. Live it. Keep God's commands and live, he says. You know, if it's not in your heart, it won't be in your life. Make it real, tell your kids. Let me help you. Watch me. It's real to me. I want you to make it real to you. And you know what? If it's not real to you, it'll never be real to your kids. 
It'll never be real to your grandkids. What, what parents do in moderation, kids take to excess. Grandkids go even further. Because if it's not real in our hearts, it's not going to be real in their hearts. So David says to Solomon, Solomon says to his kids, let your heart retain my words. Get it in your heart. Make it real to you. It's real to me, and I want it to be real to you. The second challenge, pay the price. He says in verse 5, get wisdom, get understanding. Down in verse 7, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. In all your getting, get understanding. You know, the Hebrew word translated get in verse 5 and verse 7 has the idea of acquiring something or obtaining something by making a transaction. It's used over 80 different times in the Old Testament, and about half the time it is translated by. B-U-I. Buy wisdom. Buy understanding. With all the purchasing power in your possession, go for wisdom. He says, pay the price. You know, it's an interesting thought that there is a price for wisdom. There's a price for everything good in this world. And I don't mean money. I mean, there's, 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 there. I mean, if you want to be good in a sport, there's a price to pay. If you want to be good in your business, there's a price to pay. If you want to be good as a parent, there's a price to pay. It doesn't just fall out of the sky and drop in your lap. There are things that you need to do, and we'll talk about that more in just a moment. But there is a, a price to pay. There are things that you have to give up if you want wisdom. You've got to give up foolishness. You've got to give up immaturity. You've got to give up self-centered thinking. You've got to give up personal demands. You've got to give up a, a me-centered lifestyle, always fighting for your own way. You've got to give all that up if you want God's wisdom. God's wisdom re requires God-centered thinking. It requires godly values and godly priorities and Christ-like motivations. There, there is a price to pay for wisdom. And David challenged Solomon to pay the price by wisdom. He said, with all you're getting, with everything you've got within you, get understanding. Do whatever you need to do to get wisdom. And as I was thinking about this, this challenge from David to Solomon, now that he's passing on, I just, I just can't help but wonder if this challenge isn't what motivated Solomon to ask God for wisdom when he became king. I never really thought about it. I just got it. The thought kind of came to me. What? Boy, that, that's interesting. This is David saying this to Solomon. And so David dies. Solomon becomes the king. God comes to, which we read this a, a, a number of weeks ago. God, God comes to Solomon in this, this night vision and says, Ask whatever you want me to give you. If you want to read the story again, it's 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verses 7 to 12. And in 2 Chronicles 1, 7 to 12, God comes to Solomon and says, Solomon, ask whatever you want, I will give it to you. And the first thing he says was, I want wisdom. I wonder if David preached it to him all those years. Get wisdom, get wisdom, get wisdom. Then the opportunity comes. Lord, I, I'll, I'll take wisdom. And I just, I just think, I just... Just, we'll call it Bunyan theology, okay? The scripture doesn't say it. But I just can't help but imagine that all of that preaching that David gave to Solomon all those years, which he says, when I was my father's son, young and tender, and my father's telling me, get wisdom with all you're getting, get understanding, do what you need to do, get wisdom. And now that he's in his 20s, and 
God comes to him and says, what do you want? Lord, I want wisdom. Pay the price. Tell your kids. You pay the price for wisdom because in the end, it's going to do some wonderful things for you. Third challenge, do the work. Gaining wisdom from God is not without effort or focus. Notice he says in verse 5, Do not forget, nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom in all your getting. Get understanding. Do the work you have to do. See, gaining wisdom from God is not without effort or focus or diligence. David said to Solomon, Do not forget, do not forsake, do not turn away with all your might. Get wisdom. Keep my commands. There's a mindset. I just I've, I I don't know where I read or heard this, but I just I just like this phrase. We call it determined diligence. It's kind of a mindset. Determined diligence. That is what is behind these commands of David. Those who are spiritually lazy do not gain wisdom. Those who are up and down and on again, off again, and they're on fire one week and crashing the next, and filled with zeal this month and spiritually blah the next month. Those who are, as we jokingly say, consistently inconsistent. If they are consistently inconsistent in their walk with the Lord, they generally do not gain much wisdom from God. See, it is the person with determined diligence who will experience the blessing of God and learn the wisdom of God. So make it real. Pay the price. Do the work. And then fourthly, hold wisdom high. Hold wisdom high. You see David challenging Solomon to make wisdom a priority. Notice he says at the end of verse 6, Love her, and she will keep you. Verse 8, Exalt her, and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. So he says, love her and she'll guard you or keep you, preserve you. Exalt her, she'll promote you. Embrace her, she'll honor you. Hold wisdom high. You know, there are certain philosophers of centuries gone by who used to say that, that human knowledge must be understood in order to be loved. Their thought was, once you figure out some scientific knowledge and, and you understand some great life principle, then, then you're going to fall in love with it. Saying that, boy, now that I understand that, that is so cool. That's what they're thinking. Well, that may be the way it works with some kinds of information. But you know what? With God's wisdom, it's just the reverse. you got to love it in order to understand it. You don't understand it and then fall in love with it. You love it and then you understand it. What I mean is you come with that commitment. If you're going to understand God's word and God's ways, if you're going to learn from God's wisdom, then you come with a heart of love, you come with a heart of commitment, because that's what love is. Not some feeling, it is, it is a commitment. And when you come to God with that heart of commitment, then you will understand wisdom. You know, Jesus in the New Testament was having one of his many confrontations with the Pharisees and others who opposed him in John chapter 7. And he made a very interesting remark. We won't read the verses, take your time to turn there. If you want to look at it, it's John 7, verse 16 and 17. But in John chapter 7, Jesus makes a very interesting remark as people were questioning his teachings. He says, my doctrine is not mine. But his who sent me, if anyone wills to do his will, 
he will know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own. Many, many years ago, as I was reading through that passage, that just kind of jumped off the page and whacked me. If anyone wills to do his will, then he will know. In other words, Jesus is saying, you know, people say, well, you're just making your own stuff up, Jesus. You're not really from God. Oh, he says, yes, I am from God. He says, my doctrine is not my doctrine. See, it comes from him who sent me. And if anyone's willing to do what he says, then he will know the doctrine. And what Jesus is saying was, if you are willing to obey God, then you will know the truth. If you are willing to do what God says, then he will show you what he wants you to do. You see, if, if, if you want God to show you his wisdom so you can decide if you're going to do it or not, it's not going to happen. If you come to the table, so to speak, with the idea that God's wisdom is probably going to be pretty good. So you'll compare it with everybody else's ideas and see which choice that you think you want to make. You approach it that way, you're not going to get much guidance from God. But when we come to the table holding God's wisdom high and saying, Lord, your wisdom is my number one priority. It's at the top of my value system. It's my highest priority. It's my goal in life. I love her. I exalt her. I embrace her. You come before the Lord with that kind of attitude, then you are going to learn God's wisdom. You will develop the life skills that will enable you to lead a blessed life, a holy life. A life that pleases God. A life with eternal value. Hold wisdom high. Are we passing the baton to the next generation? Are we challenging them to, uh, re regarding God's wisdom and God's will and God's ways, are we challenging them to make it real and pay the price and do the work and hold wisdom high? And are we living in such a way that we can pass the baton? Are we in the race? Am I retaining God's words in my heart so that it's real to me? Am I, am I paying the price for wisdom, forsaking the foolishness of this world? Am I demonstrating determined diligence in my pursuit of God? Is wisdom from God at the top of my priority list? As Asaph said so long ago, we will not hide them from our children, telling to the generation to come, the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done so that they can set their hope in God and keep his commandments. May God help us to carry the baton well and then pass it successfully. Let's pray. Lord, I thank God for all of these young people here today. I thank God for these children that their parents and grandparents are bringing to church. And for our teenagers and our young adults who are here with us. Lord, help us to pass the baton successfully. Lord, we who are getting on up in years, we not only have children, we've got grandchildren, in some cases great-grandchildren. Lord, we want the truth of God to pass through those generations. Now, long after we're gone, we, 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 we hope that and pray that our children and our grandchildren and our grandchildren will, will keep giving the gospel to the next generation. Lord, I pray that we will be as Solomon did to his son, 
challenging our young people and living in such a way that we're paving the way. We know if it's not real to us, it won't be real to them. If we aren't holding wisdom high, they're not going to hold wisdom high. So help us, Lord, we, we pray, to pass the baton to the succeeding generations. And Lord, may we be faithful in this until Jesus comes again. In His name we pray. Amen.